a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. And welcome everyone to today's episode. I know this is a really important topic. Exercise after cancer, especially when you're in menopause. What are your thoughts? What are your concerns and questions? I've got two really amazing women meeting me and talking to us on the podcast today. And just in preparation for it, I thought I'd get a quick message out in my private Facebook community. And I asked if their healthcare team ever told them about the incredible benefits that exercise after a cancer diagnosis had. And I also wanted to know what their biggest hurdles were to get started. And within half an hour, we had a flurry of messages and many of them echoed a similar sentiment. Some said, I'm so glad you're doing this as it's been so difficult to get support and advice. Another lady said, I'd be interested to know what they recommend as the best type of exercise to do. I'm really struggling with fatigue and muscle pain all I'm managing is a few daily walks. Another lady said, could you possibly ask what kind of exercises help joint pain when you're on aromatose inhibitors after breast cancer? And if there are any types of exercises which you should avoid? And the questions and answers just came flooding in. And I realized how difficult it is to get to grips with finding a way of exercising after cancer that we think benefits us and that is sustainable because we all know exercise is good for us. But why is it so hard to do? One lady, Lucy, said, I'd be really interested to know of any plans to provide a consistent guide or advice in exercising during and after treatment across NHS and private hospitals. I was told nothing whilst others are referred to and offered nutrition and exercise advice and others had guidance to follow. I just got a leaflet of arm exercises to do after the op. There are probably people doing no exercise because no one has advised them to, yet it's so beneficial physically, mentally, and emotionally. And that really sums up my query and my wanting to know more about this topic either. So if you are a healthcare professional, perhaps listening to this podcast episode, then please do get in touch and perhaps we can find a way of connecting lots of amazing people with one another to help make this a little bit more of a unified guidance for so many women out there who wanting this advice. But I've talked for long enough now, and I'm really excited to welcome our guests of the day in, Professor Anna Campbell, and I'm also here with Sarah. And Sarah has the most amazing journey to tell and how far she's come, and I'm really excited to pick both of their brains. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome, Anna. I'm really excited that we're here talking about exercise after cancer, especially when we're somehow in the menopause malarkey. 
we've already had a little bit of a chat, didn't we, Sarah and Anna? And it's good I pressed record, otherwise everyone's going to miss all this important stuff. I'm not actually quite sure where to start, but I'm going to start with you, Anna. Where has your interest in how to move after a cancer diagnosis come from? Can you take us back a little bit to the beginnings of your story and what you do? I certainly can. And I've got an interesting story because I'm not your typical pathway to getting to where I am now. I actually am a basic scientist. So I did a degree in immunology and a PhD in biochemistry. And then I worked in the biotech industry for about 10 years. And actually, any of you that remember Dolly the sheep, the very first cloned animal, that was where I was working. So I got to know Dolly. But I was very interested in physical activity and health. So I left my job and did a master's in sport and exercise science. And that was 22 years ago when I finished, a friend of mine was a breast care nurse. And she said to me, Anna, I tell all my patients when they're on treatment, when they're in the middle of the chemo, they must stay in bed, they must lie down, they must rest, they should do nothing. Is that the right message? And I said, let me just look at the literature. And I found nothing virtually nothing about what you do after a cancer diagnosis. So that's when I got the academic research started with Cancer Research UK to look at, can you exercise when you're in the middle of chemo? Is it feasible? And then from there, over the years, we've developed more and more research into what is feasible, what works, what doesn't work, what is the highest effect as far as making you better, and at what stages of cancer treatment should you be doing what? And that's kind of where I am now, um, looking at everything you can implement and what you should be doing after a cancer diagnosis to keep active. And I'd love to know all of the answers to all of those questions, and we're going to talk about them. <laughs> yes. Before, well, welcome, Sarah. Sarah, you've made a brilliant business out of a really difficult situation, and you now help women have an access to exercise after their own cancer diagnosis. And you have also been diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed with cancer in 2018. I was always really sporty. I loved exercise. It was kind of my escape and control at the same time. And when I was diagnosed, I was still running gently because I was pregnant at the time and went through a lot of quite intense but short treatment. So the treatment made me feel pretty rubbish. And I didn't know anything about what to do around exercising. There were a couple of times where I'd leave the house and get about 10 metres down the road and feel absolutely terrible and decide that it obviously wasn't the best thing for me to do to carry on. And so I I got through all of my treatment. It was about three months of chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery. And then as I started my recovery, I wanted to move more. Um, And I was so unsure about what to do and what was best and what was safe. And that that was the key thing. It was the safety. I was worried that I might hurt myself. And so I joined what I thought was the best approach. I had a gynecological cancer. So I joined a postnatal class, which helped me rebuild my pelvic floor. And it helped me rebuild a lot of my core strength. But the setting was completely wrong for what I had been through from a personal point of view. But I I stuck with it for a few months and I started to very slowly rebuild my strength and it was all outside. So I was able to kind of benefit from the mental health aspects of being outside every day. And it, it really, really helped 
so I, I went from doing some very basic yoga to starting to build up to very basic resistance training, walking a lot more, building up my cardiovascular fitness. And then probably by the end of the year, so I finished my treatment at the end of August, by the end of that year, I started to feel like I was starting to return to some level of normality, physically at least. From then on, I thought, actually, do you know what? There is nothing out there. You know, as you've quite rightly pointed out, I I now found that there are things out there, thanks to Anna and um, a lot of her team. But there, there wasn't obviously something that I could do and somewhere I could go to get that information from or to find somebody who could relate to what I'd been through. And so I looked into the process of becoming a cancer and exercise specialist. And a bit like Anna, I have a science degree as well. So I love science. I used to work in medical PR. So I did a lot of communicating with medical language. And so I decided to take the Can Rehab course once I'd got my basic PT qualification. And it just kind of rose from there. I've now been training uh, for three and a half years. So my business Get Me Back has been running for that long. And I train all different types of cancer, men and women. But my focus over the last 18 months has been predominantly women with breast cancer and some with gynecological cancers too. So was it more a feeling that you wanted to move, Sarah? Because I remember when I was going through treatment, my friend got me out walking and I then started to jog. But it was a feeling. I never knew that exercise was that important and we're going to get out of you Anna how important it really is but what do we actually know Anna like we I had a feeling Sarah had this urge to move and after that she went to find the experts yeah what do you know now what's actually true about these benefits that we talk about and know so little as a patient I know and it is amazing because there's a lot of really good research out there so if we take I'm going to take you through the journey from diagnosis and the various stages and how strong the evidence is the new big thing is being fit for surgery now what we find is that people who are active when they've got a cancer diagnosis when they go for the surgery they tend to have less time in hospital and less post-operative complications So the new area is prehab. Now for breast cancer and probably ovarian cancer, etc., the time from diagnosis to surgery is pretty quick. So you probably don't have a lot of time to really do a very big strict fitness regime. However, if you can, and of course, get in your head around what's happening to you, it might be so overwhelming. But for some people, knowing that if they can get as fit as possible when they're going to go through this complex surgery, especially any women who are having either reconstruction or very complex abdominal surgery, the fitter you are, the better you'll be able to get back home quicker. So this is the new area where exercise, improving your fitness is important. But let's go where you've had your surgery and you're getting onto chemo or radiotherapy. One of the biggest main things we found is cancer-related fatigue. Now, you guys will know that this isn't just like any normal tiredness. This is a tiredness that is very different from just not sleeping well. It's overwhelming. It can come over you. The evidence shows really strongly, and it's about 70 studies, that if you're active during treatment, that fatigue is less. So this is kind of, people say, but I can't get my head around that. Surely if I'm tired, the last thing I want to do is be active. But the evidence shows if you do activities, and we've had so many women say they slept better 
and felt the fatigue's gone down. So that's one of the biggest issues. Obviously, things like um, cardiorespiratory fitness. So if you're on chemo radiotherapy, you'll find you get more breathless. The evidence shows if you do nothing during something like chemotherapy, your cardiorespiratory fitness ages about 10 years. So that means that if you do nothing, you're actually cardiorespiratory fitness is like somebody 10 years older. And so if you're active during chemo, it doesn't mean your fitness is going to get great up, but it means that decline is going to be a lot less. And the other area of fitness, you know, is muscular strength. Again, they've looked, and a colleague of mine who works for NASA, Jessica Scott, analysed women's muscular strength, and they looked at women who'd done nothing during chemotherapy as far as strength, and it was like being in space for seven months. Their muscles had wasted away quite wow. dramatically, and that is a side effect of chemo. If you can, you can stop that decline by doing some muscular strength. It doesn't need to be fancy weights. It can be weight-bearing against a wall, sit to stand. But muscular strength, which really deteriorates because of the chemo, is really important you improve that. And third is weight gain. Lots of women, believe it or not, during chemo and radiotherapy, because of the steroids, because of the hormone treatment, they gain weight. And again, there's been really lovely studies I've been involved with, with Dr. Michelle Harvey, where we've randomized women to exercise with diet, and we've shown that they did not gain that weight during chemo. One of the interesting diet things was the five and two diet. So even during chemo, they had two days with the calorie restricted, and that stopped them gaining the weight. So they're the main ones. Now, hormone treatment, which a lot of women who've got specific breast cancer treatments get, that has side effects like hot flushes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, libido less. Now, there the evidence shows that the arthralgia, the muscle joint pain, exercise reduces that. So they'll get less joint pain. Yoga is one of the ones that helps seem to control uh, the hot flushes and night sweats. But in general, exercise will not start, stop that vasomotor, that hot flushes, night sweats, but it can help you with the other things. So I've given you a list of things that happen during treatment. Once treatment's over, one of the big things that exercise does is it reduces the risk of cancer coming back. It does yeah. not stop it, but it will reduce the risk by about 30%. And there's loads of studies have shown that. Tens of thousands of people with breast cancer, and they've shown that the ones who are active have a 30% risk reduction of the cancer recurring. And one of the last really interesting things we've just discovered is your ability to tolerate chemo. So some of our new studies have shown that if you randomize women in the middle of the chemotherapy, half are given a structured exercise program and the other half don't, the women who are given their structured exercise program tolerated their chemo, so they didn't miss any chemos, and the reduction in the dose was very little compared to those who were not given the program. So if you imagine the recommended dose of chemotherapy you've been given is to give you the best outcome, you want to get as much of that as possible. But those who have been given the exercise program seem to tolerate the chemo better than those who don't. So obviously that can build into long-term survival rates if that is the case. And I know already, because I know all of our listeners are going to be sitting at home thinking, I'd love to know one of those studies. Do you think you can share with us the study that shows that we can have a 30 percent 
less of a recurrence rate and I can put it in the podcast notes because we have so many healthcare professionals listening to the podcast and I'm sure they can share this amongst other professionals because they're so exciting to know that we have so much power over our health, how we're feeling now, but also our long-term health and our recurrence rates. And it's exciting that we have control because initially we feel like cancer wipes all of our control away from us. And you did mention endocrine treatment. Sarah, what was your pathway? Did you also start on something like an anti-hormone treatment? Was that part of your cancer treatment plan? So my cancer wasn't a hormone-driven cancer. I had um, cervical cancer in pregnancy. But the the treatment that I had, and during that time, my ovaries were still intact, as was my uterus. And there was an option for me to try and save my fertility. So I was given Zolodex whilst I was having treatment to shut down my ovaries, to try and keep them working and functioning for when I came back out of my treatment and therefore wouldn't go through an early menopause. But at that time, I obviously was then plummeted straight into menopause from being pregnant to menopause in the space of five days. Um, And so it was a very quick jump. And as you and probably your listeners know, going into that kind of medical menopause is just so abrupt. The symptoms just came on so quickly. So as well as all of the chemo and everything else that you're experiencing at that time, yeah, I'm sure you know too well, you are also then going into the menopausal symptoms too. And the way that they did my radiotherapy, they moved my ovaries up in my abdomen before they started my radiotherapy so that they could try and preserve them. And then about a year and a half after all my treatment finished, I slowly started to come out of menopause. So I've gone in both directions. Wow. I'm I'm just going back down through perimenopause now, naturally, but at 38. So I am classed as uh, someone going through menopause early. Yeah. And that will be very reassuring for lots of listeners at home, because so many women say to me, well, people just don't know what it's like. I got my strength back after treatment. Uh, chemo surgeries radiotherapy but many women say to me week in week out that managing menopause after a cancer diagnosis is much much worse than the initial cancer treatment because for them it goes on and on and on Mm. and five years of endocrine therapy might then turn into 10 years and they've got such reduced quality of life so many complain about really achy bodies really achy joints and They think no one else understands them, but of course Mm. there are, and we just need to find one another so that we know we can rely on one another and on on each other's resources, right? Yeah, and it's something that I see on a daily basis and probably the, the biggest complaint is joint pain from the ladies that I work with. And exercise has as huge benefits on that, but every single patient is completely different. So something that I do with somebody might not work for somebody else or it might be too much for somebody else and so it's really about tailoring an exercise prescription or program to match what that individual needs and making Mm. sure that it's progressed nice and slowly so that the patient can feel how they respond to some strength or resistance training or weight bearing whatever they're doing to help support the joints and the strength of the bones and the muscles around those joints but making sure that it's tailored specifically to that person. Yeah. 
So the 30% that I have control over reducing my risks of a recurrence, Anna, how do I need to exercise and how much do I need to exercise for this to be true for me and for everyone out of there listening? Yes. Break it down, break it down. I'm going to break it down, but I'm also going to say what Sarah said. You must listen. Everybody's individual about where they are starting off, what they like to do, what the side effects are of the treatments that maybe stop them doing it. So I'm going to give you the kind of general guidelines, but everybody shouldn't think they should suddenly be doing this because it really is slowly building up. So what you're aiming to do is some cardiospiratory fitness or aerobic exercise. And really it should be, it can be 30 minutes most days of the week, a brisk walk around the walk for the park, or or it can be in the house doing a, a DVD, or it could be even just what we call a weekend warrior where you do the full amount. Uh, maybe, you know, you've got things like 5K My Way where people come together and do the park walk. So various things you could do. The aerobic component, as I say, 30 minutes most times the day. But included in that is muscular strength work. And that's really important if you're on hormone treatment because hormone treatment can thin the bones. So we need to make sure we're doing weight-bearing, impact muscular strength. It can be wall press-ups. It can be doing a bit of yoga where you're strengthening your arms and legs. It could be going to the gym or using tins of beans, whatever is right. But actually weight-bearing around the legs and the arms, the big muscles, to make sure they're still strong. That's very important. And last but not least is flexibility, range of movement, balance. Now, for older adults, balance is really important. So anybody who's finding as they're getting older, they're not as good at balance, really important. But improving your range of movement, particularly if I've had surgery, around that area with the surgery, if you're not careful, the scar tissue will pull together and your range of movement will decrease. So you must try and keep improving that as much as possible to make sure you've still got as much active daily living movements as possible. So that's the kind of overall guidelines. But remember, start from where you are, make it fun. That's one of the key things. It has to be enjoyable and fun. So in a conversation with, I think it was Dr. Anis Mukherjee, she said it's about 150 minutes of vigorous exercise a week. Is that what came out of your studies or does it matter? I mean, you're talking about 30 minutes of brisk walking and the aerobic exercise. If I think of a pie chart, of my week is in a pie chart, how many slices of exercises <laughs> do I have to consume? So well, I want to say it's a dose response. So it's like any medicine, the more you do, the more you'll get the benefit. So okay. if you're completely sedentary, done nothing, if you do something, you're going to get really benefits. And actually, the benefits from nothing to a little bit is much larger than from doing quite a lot to a lot. So really going from nothing to a little bit is going to give you really big benefits. But it is a dose response. And usually what they say is that moderate is fine. So vigorous is when you're actually running hard and your heart rate's up near its maximum. You don't need to do that. Moderate tensity is, to give you an example, say you're walking around the road and you see a bus that you want to catch and you want to kind of start walking briskly and you're beginning to get a bit breathless and your face is getting red as you rush along to try and get that bus as a brisk walk. That's moderate intensity. Your heart rate's going up, your heart and lungs are working, but it's not as hard as you can imagine. Now, the doses, as you say, Danny, if you make it like medicine, can be little pots of 10 minutes here and there. Or it can be 30 minutes 
most days of the week. So that is adding up to at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity. But don't forget that at least twice a week, you have to do the muscular strengthening. And we published a paper just recently where what we've done now is said, if your main thing is you want to stop the cancer coming back, you need to do up to that 150 plus. If the main thing is, is depression, we've got a different dose for you if you want to kind of reduce depression. If it is quality of life, we've got another. So we've now actually trained our can rehab instructors that depending on the side effects or what the client wants, we can tailor the prescription so that it overcomes the very specific side effects that they are most concerned about. So this is a new way. It's almost like precision exercise <laughs> so we can actually but, give it a precision model. But this almost blows my mind. I mean, you're talking about really prescribing and making this way how to exercise so distinct to your symptoms and depending on what you want to work on, whether it's a risk of recurrence that you want to manage, whether it's depression. And at the same time, we know that the majority of healthcare professionals never talk about exercise to any of their cancer patients. It blows my mind, especially <laughs> now understanding how much we know. This, you're not making these things up. These are randomized controlled studies. And how is that possible? Yes. Well, 22 years I've been working at it. And um, the evidence is getting out there. But I think healthcare professionals are probably would say to me, I'm too busy. This is not my job. And I don't have time to sit down and tailor an exercise program for this person. Of course. I can say to them maybe, and this is where some pain times health professionals say, do a bit of exercise, but not too much. I mean, what does that mean? It means, oh my God. So, con you know, that's where a lot of people lose the confidence about being active. So I think the main message for healthcare professionals is please let your patients know that it is good and it's okay to stay active. And then if you can refer them to appropriate people in the community like Sarah, who are really there to actually tailor and design the programs exactly for what they want. And I'll give you that infographic. I've got an infographic which shows the various Perfect. prescriptions that you can put on with your podcast. Of course. So Sarah, if a patient or a person comes to you that really wants to get back into exercise, I've had about 14, 15 messages within the first 10 minutes of getting this question out today. And many of them said, can't move because I've got such bad joint ache and I'm so fatigued. Mm -hmm. Do we push through that pain and move? Or if I am painful, if my joints and everything is painful because I might be on a long endocrine treatment, do I wait until it goes? Or do I, is there a, do I need to push through a little? I don't know. I, I wouldn't push through pain. I think that's one of the contraindications that we need to be aware of. In terms of joint pain, it can be a bit more of an ache. I think, as Anna quite rightly pointed out, flexibility and stretching is a really key part of movement. So I would make sure I start somebody and, and actually advise a lot of women who are experiencing that pain in the morning to start with almost like a bit of a warm up routine in bed, mm. you know, moving their wrists and their ankles, starting to to get the joints moving, doing some stretches whilst they're lying down as they're getting out of bed. That's really going to help them almost warm themselves up for the day. And I, I do think that some elements of movement will become beneficial and will help with the joint ache 
and it, it depends where that pain is. And if we're talking about pain with people who've got metastatic disease, it's a little bit different. But the joint ache can be alleviated by exercise and movement. So going out, we've talked about this walking, a 20 minute, 30 minute daily walk, getting outside for your own mental health is something that's really, really important. So starting your day, depending on whether you're a morning or an evening person and fitting that into your routine, like walking the dog or walking the kids to school. And then slowly building up to the minutes we talked about, you know, the 150 minutes a week, the 30 minutes a day, however you want to see it. And then starting to introduce some really gentle strength training. So as Anna quite rightly said, you know, it's not all at once. It's this kind of slow, progressive planning every day, seeing how you feel. If you feel like getting up and going for a walk, go and do it. Try and, you know, motivate yourself to. And one thing that I always say to a lot of people, which I did for myself, is after you've done that element of movement or exercise, write down how you feel, stick it on the fridge. If you don't feel like doing something that day, go and look at that note on the fridge and remember that that's how you felt when you went out for your last walk. And as Joe Wicks always says, you don't you don't regret a workout. So, you know, it, it's very true. It will make you feel better. And I just wanted to go back to a point that um, you were talking to Anna about just in terms of healthcare professionals and um, then speaking to their parent patients about exercise. I think as patients, we also are able to talk to our healthcare professionals about exercise and tell them that we know, you know, come armed with these studies and say, I want to get back to my exercise routine. Please, can I come back to my exercise routine? Because I think rest is best is no more. You know, that was something that was a long time ago. And now actually, the more movement you do, the better response to treatment you have, the less side effects, the fewer side effects that you have, and and the greater chance of getting out of hospital post-surgery, for example, you have. It's important that you are your own advocate. And if you can come armed with information to talk to your healthcare professional about it, then that will help us spread the word as much as us doing it the other way around by the healthcare it is it is actually so interesting what you said Anna about the recovery rate after surgery because I had quite a few surgery surgeries over all these years and from when I started to become a bit more empowered I always said I'm going to be the best patient my surgeon has ever seen and if I was ever in a restaurant I would be like the most exclusive five-star meal <laughs> And I wanted to be so fit and so healthy. And I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was mad, obsessed, just wanted to be healthy. But it was just obviously me taking control. But now it's great to know that it actually helped my recovery. And it really helped my recovery. And it wasn't just Absolutely. something I sort of made up in my mind. <laughs> no, no, I, exactly I mean, the same. it's actually, <laughs> and it is that taking control. I did get a chance to tell you about some of the psychological benefits that uh, you get you find that people who've had cancer, they lose, they get lonely, they've lost the locus of control, and they find that they're really um, on their own a lot of the time, and they, they feel they've lost all their confidence. And we found that that's a huge plus of exercising, they get control back in their life. That's really important. Yeah, that was going my reason. Yeah, control. and going back to what you said, Sarah, it's when you talk about small movements and small exercises, I think the majority of us don't believe there is actual benefit in it. I think the majority of us think unless I do a proper jog, I have a proper worker at the gym, it's not much to count for. But once we change our mindset and 
we really understand that even five, 10 minutes of some gentle stretching can be really beneficial because it's mm. often your first step towards maybe a longer exercise routine. Exactly. When we truly believe it, yeah. we will do it. Yep. It's when the belief system isn't there, we're going to dismiss it, aren't we? Well, I think part yes. of the problem tends to be comparing your pre-cancer self with your post-cancer self. Yeah. And, and that that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't get back to that point. But you have to remember that post-treatment, when you're probably physically less fit as you were before, um, you are not going to get straight back up to your previous self straight away. And you've got more hurdles to, to, to climb over. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't lift that weight. You can't go on that run. You can't do that 5K, 10K, whatever it is that you want to do. You just have to be aware of what your body has been through and treat it with the respect that it needs to regain that strength, that fitness, to get back to, to where you want to be and perhaps changing some of your priorities. You know, a lot of my exercise pre-cancer was perhaps to lose weight, to get ready for holiday. Now I exercise because I want to live longer. I don't want to get osteoporosis in a few years' time. And I, I want to be remain injury-free. My joints work and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the reasons are different. The priorities are different. Um, yeah. And that's really important to reset that. That's true. Anna, I know you're in, in a university today in your um, in your office. How did you come from being in this research setting? How did you set up Can Rehab? What was the link there? Because yes. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how that journey <laughs> evolved. Well, I think that's quite good because I think it, it links to my background in biotechnology where you do things, you don't just publish papers. So I was getting a bit frustrated that I was writing these scientific papers in really high quality journals, but nobody was doing anything. So I actually took time out of academia and set up Can Rehab because people were working with me uh, and they were saying, I love this activity, but when I go to my gym and say I've got cancer, they look at me in horror and say, well, we can't do anything. So by training instructors, nurses, physios, doctors, that the evidence is there, it's really strong, and that they should be working with people to give them individualized but safe effective programs. Uh, that's how Can Rehab developed. And it's over the years, we've developed, probably trained well over a thousand. We've just been given wow. money from the American Cancer Society to set up Can Rehab in America. We've wow. worked with people in Lebanon, Thailand, so it's it's really gone global, as it were, as a high quality course that people know they're getting the most up to date evidence and they have to revalidate to make sure that they stay up in the know. And that's been my great delight. And just to tell you that what happened during lockdown was we set up Can Rehab Trust, where we used a register of Can Rehab instructors and we matched them to people affected by cancer and managed to give them a six-month online program of exercise nutritional support. And that was funded by the NHS and lottery money during lockdown. So that now is up and running. And the feedback from that, I don't know, Sarah, if you were involved in it, were you? Yeah, I, I was involved at the beginning, but a bit like you guys, when lockdown came, everything changed business-wise. So... Yeah, I was involved from the beginning. It was a brilliant program. 
it's like speed dating for cancer patients finding their perfect um, <laughs> trainer. You've, you've got it so right because somebody spoke Urdu. We had an Urdu instructor. Somebody was a keen cyclist. We had a cyclist instructor. Amazing. Somebody was palliative care. We had an oncology nurse instructor. So it's dating. It's almost like that matching the right instructor. And it's almost been out of 1,600. We've only had one person that's asked to change Wow, that's amazing. So if anyone is sitting at home thinking, how can I access a CAN Rehab instructor? How does that process work for anyone listening? Right. So I'll give you a few options. So number one is there are huge amounts of online stuff in Macmillan called Move More. So have a look if you want to get some basic information, leaflets, DVD, online stuff. Secondly, there is the Can Rehab Trust, where they can just look at canrehabtrust.org and send some information and we can try and match you and tell you about the information. And then locally, go to their local leisure centres, the, the public ones, and ask, is there a Can Rehab instructor? Because if we've trained a thousand, there is a good possibility that in the local leisure centres there'll be somebody with that qualification who could either work with them. Because what I found is group exercise People find that when they're with other people, and men in particular, I found that men found that they would not sit around the table talking about cancer, but you get a bunch of men with prostate cancer in the gym and they'll start to talk about the side effects that they've got, which are, they go through a menopause as well. So they yeah. begin to open up and talk about it. Yeah, that's amazing. And Sarah, how do you work with your people? I mean, I found you on Instagram and I thought, wow, this is amazing. And you do lots of stuff for Future Dreams Charity House in London. Yeah. Um, so my, I started working locally. I work in Surrey and I worked outside because I loved doing that when I was recovering. So I take people outside into the woods. I've got all my own equipment and um, we train one to one. And then lockdown happened and Zoom appeared. And overnight or over a weekend, everything went online. And then suddenly the whole world opened up and people started contacting me from different places across the UK. I now train somebody in Hong Kong. I've trained somebody wow. in Spain. And this online kind of world became available. And so I'd say now 80% of my business is actually online. I run a monthly group program. So the group stuff works so well. I train 10 women every month. I take them through an eight-week breast cancer recovery program where I do online workouts with them once a week. I give them tools to work out at home. And so, you know, just yesterday, I trained 28 people in one day. And it's just amazing to get all of those people together. And you don't even need to see them face to face. But there is the option. I do that locally as well. But I just love the work and the classes that I do online. And for future dreams as well, we started going to the house in King's Cross. They've got this amazing house which hosts women with breast cancer. And we then took the class online when COVID rates went up. And actually the class is, is really successful online. It works really, really well. Yeah. And I use very basic equipment. You know, you can have bean tins, as Anna said. Bean tins, a broomstick, a resistance <laughs> band. You know, you don't need much. We became very creative in lockdown with all the equipment we didn't have at home. So yeah. um, it, it well, really works. You know, what really sort of comes to me right now is that perhaps for a long, long time after I recovered myself, I thought I have to do all of this myself and I have to work it all out myself. But actually, 
from listening to Anna and seeing how you work, it's very much that we need to be guided a little bit and it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to say to a professional like you or one of the other can rehab specialists, can you please help me in getting fitter and back to strength? And it's perhaps this mindset that we should be managing everything ourselves that needs to change. And when we are ready to ask for help, someone with so much experience can help us make those yeah. first steps maybe this is maybe this is crucial in changing yeah. it so that we don't feel yeah. gosh we have to dream it all up ourselves because why should yeah. we know all of that no exactly and it's also about putting yourself first ha- having somebody tell you how to exercise or taking time out to go to the gym it does feel like a luxury in some senses but actually you know as Anna's saying with all of these studies this is a medicine this is something mm. that's going to help support those side effects that you're feeling from menopause from treatment and so it's really important that 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 this is prioritized as a self-care you know like you would your sleep and your nutrition making sure your movement is up there as well is really important and it really is medicine right Anna because if you compare it is 30 30 percent to many other cancer drugs this is yep. I mean amazing <laughs> Yeah, a lot of oncologists say that, you know, but wow, sometimes a certain chemo will improve survival rate by about 2 or 3%, whereas we're talking about a risk reduction of about 30%. And, you know, it's shown exercise will reduce your inflammatory markers, it'll boost your immune system. So even though where exercise can actually get into, if you're on treatment, right into the center of the, the tumor, and kill it better. So that there's, it's not just kind of airy-fairy that we think this is happening. We've got evidence from a molecular, cellular, physiological uh, side that this is really going on. The exercise is helping strengthen you, the host, and kill the parasite, which is the, the cancer, and then protect you from coming back. Thank you for all your research you've done over the last 20 odd years, Anna, and for all your current work, Sarah. I'm going to turn off now and go for a walk. I'm, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Thank you so much. I hope this conversation was really useful and you felt it was as uplifting as I found it to be. Anna and Sarah, just brilliant. And there's so much Sarah hasn't shared about her own story, which was She had so many difficult things to deal with and it's amazing how she's come through and is now supporting so many other people with her work. I think one thing I can't shift is that I think you still might be sitting at home thinking, now it's great, I know all the studies, I know maybe where to start, but on a day-to-day basis, it's really difficult to keep my exercise going. And I really love the idea what Sarah said is every time you exercise or you just even go for a 15-minute walk, write down how it makes you feel and put that on a piece of paper and stick it on your fridge. I'm going to do it. I'm going to use my post-it notes and I'm going to collect my feelings after exercise and stick them on the fridge. Because I think These positive messages, if they keep flooding in, they can really help us of sustaining healthy habits that we know are so important for us. And the other thought I wanted to just 
double up on because I know I've mentioned it in the conversation with Anna and Sarah is do ask for help. And I'm going to list all of the websites for you, for people to contact. If you're in your 20s and 30s, you can contact Trexdog for free exercise help. I'm going to link to the Can Rehab website to Sarah. Do reach out. There are lots of people that can help. Some programs are paid for. There are many things that are free resources. I hope something lingers from this conversation and I'm looking out of the window. I'm in Surrey. It's a Wednesday afternoon and the sun is shining. So I shall put my trainers on and go out for a walk. I love you and leave you. And um, as always, if you could please subscribe to the podcast, review it and rate it. If you don't know how to review it, ask me, I will get back to you. It would just mean that so many other people can hear it and find it if they need to listen to our conversations. <laughs>